0: Hey, all you Arizona lovers. This is the Finding Arizona podcast, episode number 259. I am your host Jose, thank you so much for listening. Today's guest is coming to us from Startup AZ Foundation. His name is Brandon Clark, and it was so wonderful to meet him and talk to him about what's going on in the world, how these startups are running through COVID and what they're doing for the future of startups and everything in between. So I will leave the rest of the podcast in introducing him, but we will jump over to our business you can hear every episode at findingarizonapodcast.com. We make it easy for you guys to connect with us, so find us all under social media, Finding Arizona Podcast, and let us know who you want in next or where to go, or even if you want to help us. Uh, you can go do so by going over to Patreon.com Finding Arizona Podcast. There you'll sign up for one of our tiers that helps support us, and in return, we will give you some bonus content. One of them being Fine Examination, our fine examination of 50 questions, where we we fill up with fun with our guests of the week and we always do so with uh, just like an energy and enthusiasm like I literally cannot say how many times people have done the podcast and then done fine examination and they are just so um, energized and excited to finish up the rest of the day just because we we do have a good time here at the podcast but we also want to share these fun moments with the guests so go sign up for that and uh, that'll help support us and return Um, last but not least I encourage you guys to go check out the blog and the newsletter the newsletter is a little bit more of the official side of what's going on with our podcast but if you go over to the blog and you want to find out more about what's going on in our lives personally Brittany and I are expecting our first child Brittany just put up a new blog post recently and I encourage you guys to go check in with her it is week 24 for us so we are past the halfway mark and uh, yeah there's a lot of things going on in Brittany's life a lot of things going on in our home and everything in between is going to be put up on that blog so go check it out um, And that will conclude the end of the business side but my favorite part of the podcast the community corkboard and for those of you who do not know what the community corkboard is I encourage you guys to send us a line over at finding Arizona podcast at gmail.com there we will shout you guys out one by one like the following two things going on I am shouting out first the fair fair food fun to go. And that is the, uh um, The fair food that you can go pick up and uh, socially distance so you can get your uh, taste of fair food if you want a turkey leg or if you want a candy apple, anything, everything in between fried, whatever you need. This is available all weekends um, throughout October and this weekend coming up is one of the next ones coming up. So I encourage you guys to go get the food while it still lasts. Next up is the fall festival festival slash pumpkin patch opening for mother's nature's farm over in uh, the Chandler area or actually the Gilbert area I apologize and this is um, a ten person ten dollar per person and it includes a pumpkin a hayride straw bale maze uh, feeding the animals and outdoor games and there's 47 acres of social distancing space that you can go check out and uh go go check it out at www.mothernaturesfarm.com and uh, that'll conclude our community corkboard and conclude this intro we will jump into this episode this is episode number 259 i'm your host jose again and i will catch you on the next one Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Finding Arizona podcast. I'm your host, Jose. As always, we bring in someone very special. And today is no different. I'm going to let this gentleman introduce himself and his business because I can't do it any justice. He has to be able to tell it himself. Yeah. So go right ahead, my man. Cool. Thanks, Jose.
1: I appreciate the time and uh, the space here. So uh, Brandon Clark. Uh, born and raised Phoenix native, a uh, co-founder and CEO of a nonprofit called Startup Bay Z Foundation. We exist to accelerate the performance of high-growth startups across the region. So we work with a bunch of uh, great entrepreneurs that are uh, trying to launch, grow and scale uh, businesses that uh, ultimately have the opportunity to define our ecosystem, our econ- our economy and, and ultimately our society. So we work with these folks at the fairly early stages of their development, um, getting into some revenue, getting into higher employees and, and growing their customer and their market base, but ultimately we Uh, Our framework is around a a flywheel effect that we uh, refer to as our generosity and and performance flywheel. So we feel high growth uh, businesses have an opportunity to really, um, you know, help grow this this community, the society, uh, the economic resiliency that Phoenix tends to. Uh, at times fall short on especially certainly in times of a pandemic or a you know a real estate downturn Uh, we think high growth companies have a a real strong opportunity to um, you know define what this region can be known for we work with early stage founders getting them to embrace core concepts and core values of generosity and the fact that their success is rooted in their ability to pay it forward to the next generation of aspiring entrepreneurs and so that's at the core of what we do and Happy to share any more of those details.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So we're gonna we're gonna you know break it down just a little bit more. But um, I'm gonna ask you the same question that I've been asking everyone to just start off: is how are you doing yeah. during this pandemic, and how's the family? Yeah. How's yourself? How are how's everything going?
1: I uh, appreciate that. Uh, we're doing well. Um, I On the personal side, my wife's actually an ICU uh, nurse. Wow. So she's been on the front line of this. Yeah, we could probably spend an entire segment just talking about that I mean, that yeah. world.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, no I doubt. you probably met my wife and, and, and had the conversation with her. But I mean, she's, um, she's my producer, but she's also a, um, she's in charge of an of accepting patients for an uh, elderly home um, sure and so she's dealing with you know having to say no to people who have covid say yeah. yes to certain things um you know making sure people are safe and so she's she's uh, an essential worker herself and, and no doubt i i know that you and i could have that conversation for more than one hour <laughs> for but, sure um, But we're going to move forward from that. And I'm really glad that your family's safe. And I'm really glad that you're here with us today. So I'll kind of ask you the secondary question that now we ask everyone is, can you give us a little bit of the origin story of Startup AZ?
1: Sure. No, happy to. So launched back in 2015, uh, really kicked off in 2016 under this imperative of, uh, in in my own personal experiences, having launched a couple of startups myself and feeling there was a lack of... uh, what I refer to as founder connectivity. So those founders that kind of initially plant that fat flag and, and say they want to go solve and you know this big problem and climb this big hill.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, you know there wasn't a lot of continuity across this ecosystem. There's some great resources out there, but you know depending on the year we're the fifth or sixth largest city in the country, and so we're pretty well spread out, and it's difficult for entrepreneurs to navigate a lot of those resources. So startup AZ launched under that imperative of creating a higher level. Of connectivity among founders that were that were really focused on building great companies, um, and over the years we you know refine some of the programs and some of the offerings that we do. Um, At central to that is an initiative we call Startup AZ Collective, where we actually bring together cohorts of early stage founders and really allow them to lean on each other. And you mentioned COVID. I mean, you know, times like this, you know, that type of tribe mentality is is incredibly valuable. So as a lot of these startups started to face, you know, some pretty significant hardship, had to start, you know, going through their own processes of laying off, scaling down, seeing their own markets in some cases evaporate overnight. I think that tribe mentality really started to kick in where they could just lean on each other. A lot of times it's just therapeutic in all of our walks of lives. We need trusted confidence. And in some cases, you know, um, you know, a level of candor that it's often hard to find among, especially if you're running a company, maybe among your own team, maybe even among some of your own leadership, you know, some of your investors, other stakeholders. And so having other founders to lean on, it was been really valuable. And I think probably one of the proudest moments, you know, of, of the evolution now, as we go into our fifth year of this, um, seeing that galvanizing effect because of, and due to COVID, um, has been really rewarding, you know, as, as a bright spot in in what has otherwise been a pretty, pretty rough year for a lot of people.
0: Yeah. And I think that's the essential part of what makes, um, you know, doing what you do such a, such a, introspective kind of way um you know you're looking at a lot of the internal bits of you know not only yourself but your employees um the facet of what you're trying to create um all of these little components make up you know just your day as far as stress level goes and i am i am so intrigued that you brought up this mentality of like what the entrepreneurs are having to deal with with covid and so um i kind of want to you know break that down a little bit for yourself as someone who has like you said um has had the has lost a couple of their um, startups or even had some difficulties with their startups what have you learned again from your experience and what have you given back to the community of startups sure.
1: yeah i think a resiliency of entrepreneurship just as a um as a, uh, as a practice or as a process rather is really powerful, right? So that resiliency nature is embedded in what it means to be an entrepreneur. I don't think it, a trait like entrepreneurship can necessarily be taught. I think you can t- teach principles and practices of it. And so when faced with hardship, which is really in a nutshell, what launching a startup is all about is just continuance of facing hardship. Mm -hmm. And so the more resilient founders, and more resilient entrepreneurs are um, not necessarily able to deflect it any better than others, but they're able to recognize it perhaps quicker and address it quicker. And sometimes having that peer network, which is again, central to what we do with the collective is incredibly valuable because even if it's just a matter of having a sounding board. And so the give back component, maybe certainly of myself, of kind of you know, bringing this together, but more so of these individuals that have come together. We've, we've had over 68 founders participate in the collective, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of to date since our launch. And so, and these are relationships that aren't just kind of one-off, you know, these are 12 month experiences that have continued into year two, year three. And so they have this opportunity to continue to, um, to continue to interact with each other, even offline. And so I think the value of those relationships uh, in times of crisis, in times of good, in times of celebration, in times of success, but also on those really critical, decisive points on kind of what to do next and how to navigate that effectively. I mean, startups, the the world of startups is really, you know, comes down to speed, speed to market, speed to market adoption, how quickly you can scale, gain customers, and and kind of have a firm hold on that market share. And so even just those types of elements and being able to lean on trusted, you know, again, trusted peers is, is really, really valuable.
0: What have you, um, from your experience, from what you have, you know, kind of seen from the pivots of all the different, um, businesses that are with startup AZ or just kind of your interactions with the entrepreneurs and the leaders, what if, what kind of advice would you give them or what kind of h- advice have you given them?
1: Yeah. Um, I think, so the pivots, it's, it's a great, it's a great discussion topic because clearly as COVID started to hit and we realized this was gonna be a thing, not Mm -hmm. to undersell, but this was gonna be a thing. Mm -hmm. I think people had to reassess some of their product development. And when I say product development, a lot of the companies we work with are tech or had some technology component rooted in their business models. And so you imagine a piece of technology that was designed to do one thing and and you wake up one day quite literally and feel like, okay, it's no longer applicable in that space. Mm -hmm. I'm building technology in the hospitality space, for example. And all of a sudden I see that market disappear. Well, what can I do with that technology? What can I do with that technology to save jobs, to save my own investments and to save my own investors you know, that have trusted me to go build this company? Now I'm seeing this market disappear. What do I do? Do I just curl up into a ball and 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 kind of wave the white flag, or how do I double down on the resiliency that got me to this point and say, okay, where do the market demands, you know? And I could speak anecdotally. We we again yeah. operate in a cone of silence on some of the challenges some of our companies have faced. But at the end of the day, again, it comes back to that resiliency. Um, And being able to see, you know, different, you know, pivoting is is also central to the process of of launching the startup Mm -hmm. and pivoting typically happens fairly early in the process. Once you realize that perhaps your product market fit isn't aligned with where you thought the product could necessarily go. And so, again, that that comes down to just that adaptability being, you know, having a, a, a close connection with your core market or your core customers. You know, and really kind of learning from that process, which is more kind of, you know, startup 101 is, is kind of that, you know, that methodology. But, you know, certainly in times of crisis, you know, pivoting becomes essential.
0: Have you have you seen or experienced any of your I don't know how to call them the the, the connections that you have, the, the people sure. that are surrounding you? Yep. Uh, have you seen them struggle? And if so, wh- what is the kind of like? your mentality or what are the things that you kind of first dawn on you to say to these guys or these, these individuals? Yeah. Well,
1: luckily in my role with, with, with startup AZ, as it relates to the collective, um, it's really how they interact with each other. And we also have some great facilitators, you know, for the program, but ultimately when I find myself in the room and certainly find myself in situations I can always relate to, I can relate to the company building side But I also really, really relate to the personal side, the personal implications of being a a startup founder. Mm -hmm. And so the personal implications are the regret and time away from families. A lot of these folks that we work with, they have families, they have kids, they have spouses, they have personal responsibilities and personal obligations that they always almost constantly feel like they're neglecting. And so part of this, there's a little bit of a perception or even a bit of a mentality that if you're not grinding it out 80, 90 hours a week, you're not putting in the time that's expected of you. Yeah. And that's, that's, there's a misconception behind that. There's also a little bit of a misconception of like achieving work-life balance. That's also equally hard, right? Yes. And so ultimately at the end of the day, and for us, you know, that, that don't necessarily punch a nine to five clock you know, there's commitments that we make to the company and to our teams and therefore our shareholders or our stakeholders. Mm-hmm. And then there's also the commitments to our families and the one constant in those two things is the family, right? And so this obligation or this commitment that they make, I mean, the one thing I'm, I'm you know, my vice, if I have one is 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 I'm a, a youth club soccer coach. I love coaching kids. I coach two club soccer teams, my son and my daughter's team, yeah. And those are those are non-negotiables to me. Mm-hmm. You know, in fact, I think our first, you know, conflict, you know, of scheduling even this was because of a, a tournament. Yeah. So that that's 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 my number one. My number one in the sense of where I commit myself. If I'm you committing myself,
0: yeah. yeah. Oh, I don't, I, I don't
1: care what's going on for the most part, unless it's against something that has some personal implications. Mm-hmm. But two, three nights a week, you'll find me on a soccer field with a bunch of, you know, 13 to 16 year old kids. Right. And most weekends you'll find me at a soccer field. And so I think for these for these founders that have families or have these personal obligations is to set some non-negotiables. Right. And then all of a sudden the, the, the commitments or at least the regret of missing some certain things. You know, happen. And and quite honestly, even to kind of roll back the clock, you know, the former head coach of the Cardinals, Bruce Arians, I think said it best and is kind of the culture he set when he was here with the Cardinals is that his players, his coaches, they didn't miss the school plays. They didn't miss the sport, you you know, their kids sporting events. And there was never a, a discussion on like where your commitments were. And there's no higher pressure situation than, than coaching, you know, uh, an NFL football team. So I think that for me was one example of so many that I've seen over the years on setting those, those, those lines.
0: And I want to say thank you for, for at least demonstrating that portion of, it, or at least telling me that portion. I'm actually, uh, my wife and I are expecting our first son and our first child and, and it's you know, one of those things as a, as a, you know, doing multiple things, like this is the podcast and like other things. I'm a landscape architect by trade. And, um, you know, those are the types of things that I want to learn and hear about because as someone who's not a parent officially under my hat yet, I, um, you know, I, I kind of lean on, you know, yourself and other individuals who have had parenting skills and things going on in their lives with parenting. I think that that's important. I mean, the non-negotiables and being able to prioritize and and really understand that the family comes first and uh, that portion of it. And so thank you for that. I mean, it really does help me um, really look to the future and look to some of the things that I'm going to be incorporating in my own life. Um, And I love that you are a soccer coach. And that's just really something that intrigues me. Um, What have you learned Experience wise, you know, either in leadership or in delegating um, from being a soccer coach. And then my secondary question is what have the teenagers taught you about technology so far? Because I know once you start getting into it, uh, you grow older, you know, a lot of the stuff, but the newer stuff is like lost on you. So let, let, let's get right. into it.
1: I, I think without uh, a teenage daughter, I would have no clue what TikTok was. Let's put it that way, as far as staying on the advantage <laughs> of, <laughs> of, of technology. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I I I keep so so the pact I have with both my kids. So my youngest, my son's thirteen, my daughter's fifteen, and then we have an older daughter who's t- twenty-three. Oh, right. Um, and I started coaching our oldest when she was six or seven. And, yeah. and for me, it was kind of a self-reflection of kind of sitting on the sidelines and kind of, you know, mumbling about how poor the coaching experience was. So for <laughs> me, it was like, you know, I, I, who am I to complain if I don't kind of step into the ring in that sense, right. Um, not to diminish the, you know, the great Teddy Roosevelt quote. Um, but as it relates to, I think what I learned from the coaching experience is, I think empowering others, even at a young age, to kind of take leadership roles, even on the soccer field. I'm big on team captains. I'm, I'm big on what that role looks like. It's not symbolic. And as the kids have gotten older, my teams have gotten older. Yeah. Um, I've been coaching a lot of the same kids for many years, just the way club competitive soccer works yeah. um, and, and seeing them rise to that occasion. There's something special and you'll witness it as soon as you see your, you know, your child at some point step onto a soccer field, step onto a stage, do anything that you're only there to bear witness of their activity. How special that moment is seeing your kids interact in any way, but seeing them compete, right? I mean, my kids could be playing chess or they could be playing soccer. It makes no difference to me. I'm grateful that they're athletic because I love sports. Right. And it just so happens. I really, really love coaching but seeing them achieve, you know, and, and compete, right. It's really no different than entrepreneurship. I see it through a different lens because I can now see these entrepreneurs at various stages and then also kind of bear witness to their progress, which is incredibly rewarding. And so the reward, and so like, I, I draw very clear, you know, connection points to coaching and then in some cases the coaching or the enablement of coaching of entrepreneurs, a lot of a lot of similarities there. It just so happens with 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 kids, especially you know, teenagers, you're dealing with all sorts of dynamics. You're dealing with all sorts of emotions and all yeah. sorts of different things. But that's part of the challenge. And that's also kind of what you sign up for. Yeah. And so there's 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 you know there's rewards in that as well. Was there as well ever, as some heartache.
0: Yeah. Was there ever, yeah, like I, I can only imagine, you know, just being the coach and just how much yeah strenuous like how much you want to be a part of the the team camaraderie and like you know involve yourself in the game sometimes um oh yeah was there ever a point about this coaching and you know doing the job that you do where you were just like this Where was that aha moment where like yeah these two things are really close to related like where was that moment (laughs) or that pivotal moment for you yeah well I, you know I, I I guess
1: you know I can also you know draw the comparison and and create the analogy of 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 high performing entrepreneurs being also high performing athletes. right. And there's elements of entrepreneurship, you know I would you know the statement I made earlier about you know not being able to teach it. i I can teach the tactical side or even the technical side of soccer. Mm-hmm. There's some natural athletes that I've been fortunate to coach that are also just good kids. Right. So that's the other part of it. But just natural athletes. And so entrepreneurship has a lot of the same corollaries in the sense that, you know, just merely declaring yourself an entrepreneur is about the same as you or I declaring ourselves, you know, professional basketball player are you really i mean it's just it's just something you can say there's inherent traits in the risk taking um that is required of entrepreneurship and it's at different levels there's there's you know definitely launching your own podcast there's opening your own restaurant there's launching a an app in the app store and then there's you know trying to change you know, the, uh, and, and disrupt financial aid in higher education. Mm-hmm. There's incremental things and no, no, no different level feels any different than you as the one that has kind of made that declaration. Yeah. It's just a different process in which to get to the milestone, whatever that milestone might be. Yeah, um, it. and so, but, but the natural athlete is more adept and attuned to that larger, um, uh, potentially higher risk for sure, you know. But that that ten person you know team that can, you know, scale to a thousand inside of five years. Mm-hmm. That takes a very unique skill set. Yeah. And it takes some inherent you know, again athletic abilities to draw back to the comparison that not everybody has. Mm-hmm. And so as we kind of roll back our imperatives, you know, that are are part economic development, mm-hmm. you know, startup easy in part, you know, inspiring this next generation to think bigger and to build bigger because of the economic implications on that and because of the societal implications on that. You know, because again, successful entrepreneurs have this potential to be, you know, the next generation's philanthropists. You know, Arizona ranks 48th in charitable giving. It's not because of wealth. There's plenty of wealth here. There's also 115,000 millionaires in this state. So where's the disconnect between the inspired generosity of individuals that go and build companies or go and become executives of companies or generational wealth or whatever, whatever the source of that wealth is of those hundred and fifteen thousand millionaires. Right. So we start shifting that 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 narrative on your role of being successful in this region. Is to give back not only to other entrepreneurs but other societal causes Mm -hmm. that are important to you, and Mm -hmm. so inspiring that generosity has become indicative of of how we exist, not only just as a nonprofit, but you know, with our own core values and our own mission.
0: Yeah, Um, you know, there's so there's so many entrepreneurs that I've met through the process of doing the the podcast, and I've always found um, kind of trying to take away different. I think uh, different pieces of advice, and one of the things that I want to ask you is, what's one of the biggest piece of advices you've ever received with either the startup AZ or one of your previous projects? Um, can you give us something that you know something that's really uh, been a cornerstone of you know who you are? Yeah. Um, I, I don't, I,
1: I, there's so many nuggets. I, I, you know, it's, it's often, you know, you, you, you trace back, you know, wise advice from, you know, my upbringing and my parents, you know, and, and a lot of them is very common and straightforward parenting advice is, you know, you accomplish whatever you set your mind to. And that was never more apparent than my parents. Right. Um, I think as it relates to startups and entrepreneurship in the role that I now find myself in with startup AZ is the value of being vulnerable. Mm-hmm. This perception of entrepreneurs and particularly founders of companies and part of it's societal, part of it's self-inflicted, but that you are kind of all knowing mm-hmm. and, in and, and, and skilled in all areas of the particular business.
0: Yeah.
1: And so the vulnerability of saying, you know what, I I know my traits, I know what I'm good at, I know what my skills are. And so this notion of hiring people smarter than you sounds cliche, but is never more important than in the earliest stages of startups, especially when you get into that mode of, of team building, building teams around, you know, these 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 um you know these 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 you know solutions that you've built for a particular problem, right? Yeah. And so this notion of 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 trying to kind of dominate conversations, dominate the problems, fearing delegation for fear of this perception that maybe you're not the founder mm-hmm. because you don't know every element of it. And yeah. so that comes rooted in vulnerability. So much, some of the best entrepreneurs I know, you know, that I'm fortunate to not only call friends, but also colleagues because of you know, their involvement with Startup BC are the ones that are continuously learning and and thrive in those environments as opposed to others, you know, that are coming to mind Mm -hmm. that thrive in dominance and thrive in environments where they can, you know, you know, the perception is, is, is their success is rooted in their ability to be all, you know, all knowing in that. You know, I, the just core principles of entrepreneurship and vulnerability and, and, and self-awareness, too. And, and none of these are advices per se is like advice I've given or, or give. But, you know, self-awareness in the sense of, you know, it was rooted in vulnerability and knowing not only your own, you know, limitations, um, but, you know, your your, uh, you know, willingness and desire to empower others. It's, it's all about humans. It, it doesn't matter what it is that we do in our lives, with our lives, whether it's in company building or even with our families. It's all rooted in, in, in the humanness of what it takes to get from point A to point B. And your point A to point B might be, you know, growing your subscribers from 10,000 to 100,000. You know, that restaurant might be growing from one unit to seven. You know, that tech startup might be growing from 100 users to a million. Yeah. Humans involved in that endeavor. And that's important.
0: There's one thing that I've noticed too, with, um, these, you know, startups and, and I want to ask you, what did you first see or kind of where was when COVID hit, what was kind of the first things that you saw happening to the entrepreneurs and the different kind of areas? Like where, I know some of them went down in in whatever kind of um, area they were in but you know was there kind of a particular trend that you saw whether that's up or down or yeah. side to side whatever it may be that you saw in particular that was here in arizona and here in the in the valley
1: yeah so unique to arizona that may be a little bit trickier because I, I think there's so many um yeah. definitely elements you know, both positive, you know, a much, much shorter list of negatives, you know, and, you know, over the past decade, it's just kind of, you know, as far as the economic conditions, resources and things like that, as it related to COVID, the one thing that will continue to be an advantage for startups in particular, and when I refer to a startup, I'm, it's, it's a broad description of a company or a small enterprise that's designed to scale very quickly. But could be less than, let's say, 100 employees, right? And so everybody has kind of their own definition. Mine is kind of, kind of that. Okay. And so when you're talking about, you know, uh, team sizes of that, you're talking about generally an ability to adapt quicker to kind of whatever. Yeah. So, you know, example one, you know, working remotely. A lot of startups we work with are are virtual anyway. Pre-COVID, they'd always been leveraging technology to stay connected with teams, especially where to the extent that you look at talent and again that human element as the key indicator of a you know startup's success, that talent could be here or it could be in Wichita or it can be in San Francisco or it can be in Atlanta. Yeah. It doesn't matter, you know, if if you've built a team with some infrastructure and certainly some tools, you know, built in, whether it be Slack or Zoom or whatever. You know that enable you to operate in a virtual setting. So I think the startups, you know, certainly that we work with, and I think by and large, their ability to adapt to this new way of life, I think was a little bit easier. Now, certainly, we have we had a number of startups that had scaled up their enterprises, had, you know, perhaps taken on some big, you know, le- you know commercial leases, you know, rented offices, things like that, and and that those became burdens. And again, depending on the various situations, those became more of an overhead. You know, challenge. Um, you know, to kind of sum up, and, and this was actually some some great feedback I got from from our board chairman uh, Tom Curzon. Um, you know, he he referred to it this way. He said every startup experienced uh, headwinds, tailwinds, or crosswinds. And so your tailwinds was that because of like if you were in telehealth, which one of our companies is, right? Yeah massive tailwind. You saw this massive. dramatic shift, right? Like,
0: oh, we're doing this now. Okay, we got to hurry. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. And 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 even like the sales pitch changed from hey, this is a nice to have to all of a sudden overnight, this is a need to have. This is a right? necessary to have. Absolutely. And so that that's an example of a business model and a product line if you will that had massive tailwinds and the company was poised to take advantage of that. Where they're seeing triple-digit, you know, digit, you know, month-over-month no, month, um, revenue growth. A headwind is is that startup that is is, you know, in hospitality, right? And 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 one of ours is is you know, one hundred percent of their business was in hospitality. It was in workforce deployment in the hospitality industry, and and primarily even in in the, the need, scale-up needs you know, say of a big resort that's hosting a big conference. They've got to scale up staff, you know, fairly quickly on that. And so this, this, this company was designed to to handle that kind of an Uber for the hospitality industry. So as all that stuff, conferences, um, you know, hotels in general, restaurants, all of those things started to quite literally just shut down, Mm -hmm. not slow down, but shut down. Yeah. that market evaporated overnight and so there's some really good examples there of how they even pivoted the technology because at the core was this technology that allowed their customers their clientele to access this workforce well there was other elements that were suffering workforce shortages yeah right so there was you know um in some elements of logistics and you know uh know grocery stores things like that and so they were able to pivot some of that but now they're back into the hospitality game full feet and and you know back on their own revenue you know growth rate crosswinds is more of a you know they didn't see a shift one way or the other right they didn't see a dramatic drop they didn't necessarily pick up any kind of tailwind so they were able to kind of stay fairly steady you know again depending on the market that they were in um and so I think, you know, not just indicative to our startups that we work within the collective, but I think generally you could classify, you know, in anybody out there, even some big companies, yeah. you know, in, in, in similar buckets, even nonprofits. I think everybody's experienced one of the three and probably different variations of them over time. Um, I think our tailwind as a nonprofit and the role that we, we, you know kind of play in this in the region is is really how entrepreneurship is going to help us recover from this quicker I think we're going to see some downturns. I think we're going to see some downturns primarily even in the commercial real estate market. And so when you see Phoenix's market, so dependent on the value of the building I'm in and, and, you know, you know, the towers downtown, I think you're going to see some shifting there. And so I think the value that entrepreneurship can provide a community, uh, in, in elevating the access points, you know, of entrepreneurship becomes incredibly important, um, and but you know then again i think the resiliency of the phoenix economy is is so much uh stronger than it's than there's really ever been but certainly in the last you know decades certainly since the last you know economic downturn um that you know I, i think you know i think we have definitely an opportunity to to bounce out of this a lot quicker than perhaps some other markets might
0: yeah well i mean there was there have been so many shifts and changes i mean from 2008 to now um that I feel like Arizona took its, its hit in the, in the beginning and then for some reason or whether I'm just blind to it, they made the unnecessary changes that were at this time around, it felt like coming back was no problem or coming uh, kind of hit back where we were. You know, it it didn't seem like it was that hard on on a lot of people or it didn't suffer as much um, is the word, I guess. Um, Here's here's my next question, because I like to get a little bit more personal with our guests, too, sometimes. And I I really would like because you your story intrigues me and just kind of who you are as a person and being a coach and everything. So you are someone that I want to get a little bit more personal with is is there any routines that you kind of keep daily that kind of keep you, um, especially now and during COVID, you know, sane?
1: You know, I, I'm not big on daily routines, uh, although I, I've certainly listened to the podcasts and read the books and listened to the TED Talks that I should be adopting meditation and some different things. And there's value in that. And I highly encourage it. But it's more of a do as I say, not as I do, because I'm. I'm, I'm it's difficult, I think, for me. Um, I'm not... Um, I like process, but I don't thrive in that environment. So therefore I feel like routine is something like that. Um, I stay fairly active. I think my therapeutic outlet though, and it's just pretty hard for people to believe, but, but is coaching. Um, It and it really is, and and it's not yeah. only just something that a commitment that I've made to my kids and the kids that I coach, but that there is a therapeutic value. Sure. And maybe it is because of the routine of it, because yeah. I know that there's set times that I need to be someplace. You're going to be there. And there's and people. Routine. There's leader. elements of that.
0: Yeah, I get for that for sure. And, and yeah. I, get, I I understand that element of it. I mean, for myself, it's running. I'm a runner, yeah. um, and so that's kind of the thing that I do every morning. Is But it's like, again, it's like do as I say, not as I do sort of thing. It's like I don't run exactly every day, but I love the therapeuticness of, you know, just being able to lose myself in the run and kind of enjoy it. Yeah, It's something that comes up. I call it mental maintenance. It
1: comes up a lot in our sessions, almost on a regular basis, and, and mainly because somebody will have developed a new hack or a new tool set or a new something that's helped them. Because I think the mental maintenance, just in our everyday lives, regardless of your career choice, regardless of kind of where you are. I think is really important. And that is absolutely as, you know, as I say, not as I do, because I I don't do enough around my own kind of personal wellness and mental maintenance, but, but, but sometimes it's just that, because I guarantee you that my stress levels coaching can, can skyrocket. Right. So it's not necessarily, it's a decompression, but there is something incredibly therapeutic yet, you know, in, in that experience, like weekends without soccer, I'm like, twiddling my thumbs mainly because i'm trying trying to to avoid something that needs to get done around the house or you know some other chore but you know really at the end of the day i think of that aloneness you know time whether it be running or bike riding or meditating or yoga or just working out um i think it's difficult for everybody but to particularly you know, CEOs of, of any size company, let alone small companies that are really trying, you know, to build, you know, momentum, is being able to shut the brain off. Yeah. Just shut it off. Yeah. And so whether it is running and sometimes music, I think there's different, you know, things that just kind of, you know, I think need to, you know, interrupt some of that. And I think the interruptions is really important. There's there's science behind why some of our best ideas emerge in the shower, right? It's, it's, it, there's a calmness to that. And so rather than taking showers for, you know, 30, 40, 50 minutes a day, you know, but finding some other outlets where you can find that calmness is, yeah. is really, really, you know, important, important for everybody to develop.
0: And that one yellow flag just set you off, right?
1: <laughs> oh, Jose, shoot. Don't even get me started. <laughs> the one both, yellow Both card. my son and I ended up with yellow cards in our last tournament match. Oh, no! Right? Oh, and it's such a terrible thing, too, because at the end of the day, I'm either arguing with somebody that isn't getting paid a lot of money to ref a game of yep. some hyper-aggressive teenagers and I'm gonna dispute a call, right? As if it's gonna change it. Cause I'm also the same guy sitting on the couch wondering why LeBron James is arguing about calls, right? (laughs) And so it's like, there's no correlations to that, but. Oh, I got stories there. We'll oh, man, I can imagine. One. My
0: my my dad is, you know, he was the one, the type of guy that, like, when we were young, he wanted to coach us. So, you know, he was a big basketball guy. So when we were peewees, like, he would coach our every single basketball pee-wee team. And we were bad kids. We were just mad kids. And just seeing him, you know, coaching these kids, he had a new spirit. He had a new way about him, where he was just like, you know, he, he didn't swear as much too. Like he, he, he told himself he wasn't going to swear as much as a coach, you know, all of these little things. But it's like one little thing set him off, like a bad call or something that was like, it just his skyrocket to zero to one hundred was just like, oh man. But you know, it, it it is what it is, and I understand that. I understand, you know, especially when it's your own kids involved too. It's like you yeah. can you can lose yourself in that moment. Yeah, um, sure. i was kind of interested in asking you how you, do you watch television? And if so, in particular, do you watch Shark Tank and uh, these types of shows, like where The profit, where it's like they're asking, yeah. they're kind of breaking down the business elements and the business techniques. And yeah. how you feel about, I want to know how you feel about the shows sure. and um, your opinion on those types of shows.
1: Sure, um you
0: know i i haven't
1: watched either show recently and in, in fact not not in a while but i have watched the profits so I, I know both of course mm-hmm. um the profit actually gives you an interesting lens into the stories behind the businesses so i find some interest in that yeah i think the host is is kind of different imperatives in it and a lot of it's pretty ego driven mm-hmm. but i think at the end of the day i think the stories there are really really interesting to the to to the extent that they haven't been edited to perform or you know conform to some producers yeah you know you know yeah. imperatives which in often cases they are shark tanks no different i think that the the misconception and i don't want to say it's caused any damage because it certainly hasn't because again it's it's been a glimpse into a process of company building yeah. is that at some point you're gonna be in front of people that have the capital that you need to take your business to the next level. Exactly. Now the production of Shark Tank and even the logistics end or the back end of it is mm-hmm. not the way deals necessarily come together. Mm-hmm. Yes, there's some pitch element, there's some element of you know convincing somebody to part their, you know, ways with their but again, it's it's a highly edited, you, you know, Hollywood version, yeah. you know, of the experience. You know, again, that being said, it's it is kind of cool. Like if it's on, I'll I'll sit and watch because yeah. it's kind of interesting to see the yeah. you know the products. But it also has an element of of American Idol where they need to throw some duds in there from time to time, <laughs> you know, for 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 you know you know, uh, for you some theatrical, <laughs> yeah, whatever, right? And but I think at the end of the day, because I think what's far more interesting. And there's actually a great entrepreneur, her name's Halle Techo. She's in San Francisco. She launched an accelerator called Rock Health. And I had no idea. I've known of her for years, but she actually has tracked all of the deal flow in Shark Tank. Get the the deals up. that actually come together. Wow. You know, in in where the companies and it like. Because like, that's what I'm more interested in. I'm so yeah. data driven on the performance of startups generally, mm-hmm. and so to see something as a Shark Tank as a launching point for some certainly anything anybody mm-hmm. you know in the B two C space anybody selling a consumer product yeah. that's more or less free marketing, except for the fine print is that any company that's pitched in Shark Tank ABC actually it's no longer ABC is it? Uh, Whoever the network ten, is,
0: ten, yeah.
1: Anyway, they own a three percent stake in the company. So every company That's you right. see pitched in, in Shark Tank, there's a there's 30%. a there's an equity exchange in just that. So so fascinating. That not a bad sense. business model for them because how many thousands of companies have you know pitched there and you know how many hundreds have you know really taken off, which many of them have. Yeah. it's, it's not the best. My, I guess my finer point on that is it's not the best example or the best, like if I'm not giving anybody advice, like, Hey, go watch shark tank to learn how to raise capital Yeah. yeah. or go watch, you know, the profit to learn how to pivot, you know, your business. Um, you know, there's entertainment value there. And then there's, you know,
0: there's, I mean, that was more like, you know, what are the entertainment value that you can see from this, especially being that they are entrepreneurs and a level of um, people who are starting up businesses themselves. Um, the reason why I asked is really because I'm fascinated. It fascinates me the level of breakdown, especially in some of the terminology and, and, and kind of the back and forth and minutia of doing their, their stuff. Um, Not so much Shark Tank, but the profit and how they break down a lot of the um, internal aspects of, you know, this is our overhead. This is, you know, what we're trying to ROI and all these different elements that come come along with being a business person.
1: Yeah, and and the one thing that is interesting that the profit does seem to, at least in the handful of episodes I've seen, is he does seem to kind of direct them towards their own culture. Mm -hmm, Yep which I think is incredibly important. And I think he does that really well because yeah. he does. And again, there's some entertainment value or kind of this reality show value around getting to the root of some conflict, whether it's a family run business or two founders that are butting heads or whatever. Yeah. But in, and I don't think he's overt in it, but in, 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 in a way he addresses, you know, the culture
0: mm-hmm.
1: of any one of these businesses that he interacts with and how important that is. Cause culture is the defining element yeah. regardless of the product or market or whatever of the type of company that these entrepreneurs want to build. You establish that through your culture and you establish that through your core values. Mm-hmm. And in doing that effectively. And again, this kind of bring it back full circle, that flywheel effect of performance and generosity, the framework of startup AZ, yeah. the generosity element of that flywheel is about st- establishing core values Around a company that you're proud of, and that your employees are proud of, and that your stakeholders and shareholders are proud of, and that your customers are proud of, that becomes the ultimate talent—a uh, you know magnet. I mean, you know, soon Gen Z, but now Millennials—they are far more choosy than our parents were, or even my generation was. Yeah. You know, as a Gen Xer, on the types of companies that we want to work for in many cases, those generations were grateful for the work and wanted to challenge themselves around career advancement. And in certainly plenty of cases of entrepreneurships and launching things, but generally your, your notion of a a quality job, you know, especially, you know, Gen X and beyond was just, you know, uh, you know, stability. Mm -hmm. Whereas like now millennials are staying in jobs, you know, for two, I think the average is about 2.5 or 2.8 years. Yeah. And so by doing that, and there's a couple of reasons for that, but them even choosing to jump into startups, because even in the attraction space of pulling in talent is getting the right people at the right stage to help grow this company. It's not, it's not maintaining its, its, its scalability and it takes the talent to do that, but... You know, you know, if, if candidate, a, you know, A has, you know, two choices, you know, they're leaning towards this millennial and soon to be Gen Z as they continue to enter the workforce. You know, they're opting for companies that stand for something. Absolutely. It's not about activism. This actually is a debate that's come up recently as we've, you know, certainly find ourselves not only among the pandemic, but also in this, you know, I think what has been no doubt and overlooked topic for generations, decades, you know, is racial, you know, inequalities, you know, in in our society, yeah. and so it's less about the activism, you know, and again, these companies that stand for something, but to bring that even back into the diversity around, you know, team building, like we look at that through the lens of even how we build these cohorts, right. Like there is a higher degree of, you know, white males starting companies. There's no question. And we could build our cohorts associated with just based on that volume. Mm-hmm. But we found in the data supports when we lack diversity in our cohorts and when our startups lack diversity in their teams, it's a hindrance, it's a barrier, it's a friction point. Yep. you know, in both cases. Diversity of thought comes to the diversity of the humans providing the thought, the thinking.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so that's something that we've always champion, but never more so now because now it's, it's, it's heightened and it's heightened mm-hmm. unfortunately for some unfortunate circumstances but I think as it relates to entrepreneurship mm-hmm. it's not a nice to have it's not something that looks good in a press release or in a you know a photo op yep. it's indicative to the performance of these startups so
0: I really appreciate you going into detail with that portion of it just because I know it can be hard to you know, we've tried to bring up, you know, the the fight for racial inequality. And I've always, you know, I've, I've tried to bring an element of diversity into our podcasts, especially, you know, bringing my own heritage. I am Native American on my mother's side and Puerto Rican on my father's side. And one of the elements that I've always found great about what we do here is, you know, I try my best, my hardest to bring in you know, individuals that I know personally from the art world, um, Native Americans, um, from all backgrounds, because I, you know, growing up, that was one of the biggest things that I was like, I don't see representation in myself and the people that I'm around all the time. And so that was something important to me. I, I really tried my best to bring in different voices of all kinds. And whether that's you know, myself or any anyone who comes in through the doors here, we we, we really try our hardest to try and push that element of diversity and, and um uh, conversation and in those. Um, so thank you for that. Uh, that was that was inspiring to hear from you from your end and what you know, especially I know startup az, your the way that you bring about the elements of how you you know, kind of introduce that that mentality and, and doing all of those different pieces. I know it's important to the entrepreneurs as well. Um, I'll ask you a couple more questions cause we're, we're winding up here. Um, you know, for yourself, is there an, do you, I guess my interest in, you know, being, you know, so fascinated with the, the shark tank element and the, the entertainment side, um, do you ever find yourself investing in the people that you work with or is there, you know, do you try and um, stay away from your personal group and try and invest in other areas? I'm kind of curious where you find yourself in that realm. Yeah, I,
1: I I don't invest capital. I just I'm not at that stage in my oh, life where I, where I could do that. Um, but you know certainly it's it's the way we certainly the way we run the collective it's it's very much you know about kind of managing a portfolio so not unlike in fact a lot of what we do has been associated with what other some you know vc funds might do to provide additional resources to the founders of the startups that they've invested in yeah um where i invest you know time and and i guess in some cases capital but but my resources is is at least in you know um you know, the, the problem solving space is, is, um, you know, with our use. So in addition to startup AZ, I also run and what I consider an idea lab called cradle
0: Okay.
1: Yeah. cradle fo is operates at the intersection of technology and, in what impacts the lives and learning of our kids. And so, but we'll look at some pretty meaty topics like, you know, mental health care in schools mm-hmm. and how to, you know, deploy that more efficiently as a resource to Teachers and school performance and ultimately student performance. So we're looking at mental health care from the lens of not just advocating that's important, that it's lacking, but with solutions that say this is how we can better resource our schools in that regard. Gotcha. We'll look at things in the foster care community through a similar lens, advocating certainly the incredible humans, you know, that that step up in that space to to, to, to care for you know displaced you know, uh, kids, I mean, you talk about the voiceless, right? You know, kids that have been abandoned for any number of reasons. And then the system that they get kind of dropped into and Arizona is no better than others. And of course, Arizona ranks a little bit lower than most as far as how we handle that system. And so again, we look at the intersection of where technology can enable and empower the humans that, to you know, step up in that regard. And so that's where I think kind of just a quick snippet of where, you know, to the extent that I have capacity or resources to deploy, it's into projects like that, you know, through this mechanism that we've created called Cradle. And that's, that becomes incredibly empowering. Um, because again, it's, it's, it, but it's also a little bit of a disconnect on kind of some of the imperatives that we look at. Because the scalability of these things are somewhat unknown. Even the traditional mechanisms, or even the business models around these things, so we seek sustainability differently. But the value is through the impact, right? And so, whether it's again that mental health therapy, or you know, foster care resource directory that's based on the intelligence of knowing, you know, the history of some of these kids that are in the system per se. Yeah. Um, it's just it's a different mindset than. I want to go build this company and I want to grow revenues. I don't want to grow customers. I don't want to expand and I want to dominate market share. It's just a, a little bit of a different mindset. So
0: yeah, it's a definite mindset change. It's yeah. like you're not seeking um, adulation and, and and all these different, you know, uh, revenue and all these, you're actually like right. the mental aspect. of was like, I'm trying to help someone yeah. a child. I'm trying to help an individual. Yeah. So, yeah. I, yeah. I that different mindset is, is, is very, it's a big part of it. And so I will ask you this last question and kind of, end and let you uh, promote the, the startup AZ again. But um, this last question is more about what you're excited for, for the future and, and after yeah. COVID and after the shutdown and kind of like, what excites you?
1: Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of things are coming, right. And not to spend even a moment of time on anything, Politically related, but we've got some big decisions as as a society to make here in the coming weeks and months Mm -hmm. I think with this pandemic and and if you can kind of compartmentalize the last several years is I think it's taught us how to um, You know kind of kind of the kind of society we want to be and and kind of the society we want to leave for our kids you as You know young parents, you know me having kind of a range of kids I think I think the work that we all kind of opt into is, you know, and, it, it, and again, it sounds so cliche, is, but like, how do, how do we want to leave this world? Right. Because at some point, the one constant in all of us is that at some point we won't be here. Yeah. And so it's less about personal legacy. And it's more of just this this society that we that we're proud of mm-hmm. and to some extent proud of you know, participating in, you know, you through getting the stories out of these incredible humans, mm-hmm. perhaps the current company notwithstanding, but just these great people, the storytelling behind it, and even how that's rooted in your own heritage in the Native American, like we could learn from that. And so the stories we have to tell, but also, and I, I feel some le- elements and responsibilities of that, even through coaching young kids. Um, but I think we we're experiencing a rebirth. And right now, and, and perhaps, you know, appropriate is, is, you know, we're experiencing some labor pains right now, right? And it's painful, right? But we too will prevail from this. This won't define us as a society. This won't define us as a region. We, it won't define us as, you know, kind of the human race. But what are we going to learn from this experience? And, and what's the role we each kind of play in how we rebuild from this? And it's easy for me to revert back to entrepreneurship, right, and the role that that plays. But it's across the spectrum as parents, as, as, as educators, is the value of education and the value we don't place on teachers. Mm-hmm. And now because of the pandemic, because of our kids being taught from home, we as parents now play that role. Yeah. Um and, and understand- so that that's incredibly empowering because it's it's you know, the optimism in me and in, in any of entrepreneurs, right, is is that things are going to get better. But more importantly, what do we learn from what we just lived through? Yeah. And and how do we build from there?
0: Yeah. That's incredible uh way to end things. Um I think if I can just leave you with one thing that I I always lean back on is um that portion of my Native American side is one of the things that I've learned most is to kind of introspectively look at the, the idea of seven generations. And in that, Mm -hmm. in that idea, the the kind of premise is to look beyond yourself and look to the generations, not only behind you, but in front of you as well, that you are considered the middle and those who would come before you and after you um, you have to keep them in in your mind because without them you know you have no past and you have no future so you know to consider yourself you know that important to want to give back to the future or give back to the those who will come after you and then also yeah. to honor the people who have been there before you so you know that's the kind of thing that i, I lean back on a lot too um, so again what a great way to end our conversation. And um, usually towards the end, I give everyone the opportunity to promote themselves. So uh, if you have social media uh, website, let them know right now where they can find you. And sure. again, I appreciate you for coming on and doing this. Yeah, week.
1: I appreciate the opportunity. It's been a lot of fun. I think for startup AZ, it's StartupAZ.org. startup mm-hmm. um, I'm going to botch our social media handles. So I'll just leave it that they're linked there. So if okay. you want to kind of follow some other, uh, another great if you're just really curious about entrepreneurship and entrepreneurial related happenings um, yesphx.com or hashtag yesphx okay. is a great you know hashtag to follow it typically any entrepreneur related obviously so much as virtual mm-hmm. uh we are fiscal sponsor of, of phoenix startup week which is the largest convening of entrepreneurs in the valley that's going to happen in april 2021 we hope in person um so just if You know, staying in tune on that; those are probably the best outlets to be able to do that. Um,
0: I've had a couple of your, a couple of your people from that startup AZ or from that startup week. Yes, PHX. Yeah, yeah. They they, they've you know come on. They've expressed wanting to do stuff with us. So it's like I, I am very encouraged by the entrepreneur side and all the startups that are out there, especially here in Phoenix. So. I'm always an open door. So you tell them, come on in and I will gladly have them either do a Zoom call or, you know, right behind me in the studio. So Very cool. Love it. Uh, before we go, ladies and gentlemen, you can hear every episode of our podcast at Podcast.com. All of our social media handles are under Finding Arizona podcast, so we make it easy for you guys to connect with us. Let us know who you want in next. DM us. Tell us who, what, and where. Um, so then also, if you would like to become a super fan, there's a place for you to go do that. Patreon.com slash podcast. There, you'll sign up for one of the tiers that helps support us. And in return, we will give you some bonus content. And that will end our podcast here with Startup AZ. Thank you so much. Do you want to say goodbye to everyone?
1: Goodbye, everybody. I appreciate it. Thanks, Jose. Well done, man.
0: Awesome. And that will conclude us. And we will see you on the next one.